So as Libby mentioned, we're beginning this new series looking at different gifts of the Spirit. And in particular, we're going to be looking at some of the lesser known ones, and if we're honest, some of the lesser valued ones. Things like service or mercy or administration. How do they work? Now, we're beginning with this particular one, the gift of speaking in tongues, which actually, I'm, I'm from the north of England, so I say the word tongue in a particular way. Some of you will say tongue, some of you will say tongue, some of you will say tongues, I say tongue. Uh, it's sort of in between. Let's just get that out there, and for the next 25 minutes, you'll be listening out. Is he a tongue, a tongue, or a ting, or what's going on there? But it's the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, that is not the gift that people have undervalued. The gift of praying or speaking in tongues is one that actually, if anything, has been overvalued. And we'll see why in a few moments. Next week, we're going to look at the gift of prophecy and how that differs. But how did the Apostle Paul think that this particular gift of praying or speaking in tongues should be used? Well, the first thing to say is that we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we're talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's get some basics out there right at the beginning. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was there at creation, hovering over the waters, and the Holy Spirit was given, we're told, to kings and prophets and priests for a limited time, for a specific purpose, and then that the Spirit of God would be withdrawn from people. Once Jesus ascended into heaven, and we'll be remembering that this Thursday in the life of the church's year, on the ascension day, Jesus goes up into heaven. On Pentecost, which we're remembering in two weeks' time, on Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit in a new way. Now the Holy Spirit is available to every Christian. The Holy Spirit is given to every Christ follower. Every believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit living inside him or her. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit living in you. But the Holy Spirit then does two things. Firstly, the Holy Spirit produces what's called the fruit of the Spirit. One of the other titles of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So what the Holy Spirit does is he reproduces the characteristics of God, the characteristics of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit in your life and my life. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. The character of God being reproduced in us. But it's not just the character of God that the Holy Spirit produces, it's also the abilities of God. And those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had all the gifts of the Holy Spirit because he was Jesus, he was God become a human being. We, as the church, are the body of Christ. So between us... We should be exhibiting, demonstrating, manifesting the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. At least one spiritual gift. People differ as to whether all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to all Christians. We can chat over coffee if you want. But you will have at least one, if not two or three gifts 
that God has given to you. But this particular gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues, is controversial, and it has always been controversial. The whole reason that Paul has to write these three chapters in 1 Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14, is that way back at the start of the church, this early church in Corinth, they were misusing the gift of praying, speaking in tongues. And that's why Paul writes this letter and includes chapters 12, 13, and 14. So this is nothing new. But this is also the gift, if we're honest, that we struggle most to understand. Because it's the most supra-rational. It it just doesn't seem in some ways to make sense to us. Why would God want us to pray in a language that we don't understand? It doesn't seem to make much sense. It's a gift that's been used to make people feel very guilty at times if they haven't got that gift. It's a gift that's been used to make people confused. It's also, if we're honest, um, a gift that has been used to create some of the most hilarious moments that I've experienced in church life. Um, Libby mentioned that that next year um, we're going to live stream the the, the leadership conference from the Royal Albert Hall. It's going to be live streamed here and for just one week, one week only, you can this week, if you use the code that's in the notice sheet in the events email, you can sign up for it and you get £25 off. Just this week, £50 for those two days next May, this time next year. And uh, Ailey and I are going to go down for the next two days and we're going to be in London. Uh, But that fact that we're hosting the leadership conference next year reminded me of the first time that we went down five or six years ago uh, to the leadership conference in the Royal Albert Hall. And I don't want to offend anybody, but this is genuinely what happened. Um, I was there with Josh, our eldest son. He was in his gap year before university. Had nothing to do, so we took him. Uh, about seven or eight of us went the sta- from the staff went down, including John White, who was our youth director at the time, and Gilly, who was our intern. And we were sitting in the Royal Albert Hall, and there was John, there was Gilly, there was Josh, and then there was me. And behind us were a group, there were about 5,000 people in the Royal Albert Hall. Incredibly powerful time of worship. Just very moving and, and fantastic. It was brilliant. Apart from one thing, there was a man who was sitting behind us. And whenever we stood up to sing, he would pray out in tongues. Only he'd never, well, I hope, at least, thought about the words that he was using. So we would stand up to sing, and he would just stand and go, shitty baba, shitty baba, shitty baba. And you could see John look at me, and I looked at John, and Gilly would turn around and look at this guy, and Josh just lost it completely. He started to go into giggles. John, if you remember John White, he went. I mean, he was crying with laughter. As this guy was like, shitty baba, shitty baba, shitty baba. And we went over coffee, went, do you think anybody has ever gone to him and said, do you realize what you're saying and how stupid it sounds in English? Shitty baba, shitty baba, shitty baba. That's the only time I've sworn, probably, in 22 years of preaching at P's and G's. (laughs) And so stuff like that happens with a gift of praying in tongues, and we think, really? Is that really what God meant it for? Is that really how God intended it to be used? Hopefully not. But it has 
divided people. For some Christians, it defines who they are. If you're in some uh, Pentecostal denominations, uh, the gift of praying in tongues is taken as evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that particular denomination would look uh, to the day of Pentecost and Acts chapter 2. It would say that the people were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and spoke in tongues, and that is a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in one Pentecostal denomination, the Assemblies of God, you can't actually become an ordained minister unless you pray, speak in tongues. Because praying, speaking in tongues is taken to be evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be a minister because you wouldn't want to be an ordained minister and not, I mean, imagine if Libya or I were not filled with the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't want that. So in that particular denomination, the Assemblies of God, you can't actually get ordained unless you pray in tongues. But again, that seems to be at odds, as we'll see in a minute, with what the Apostle Paul taught in Corinth. The gift of speaking in tongues also is not a particularly or uniquely Christian phenomenon. The, one of the reasons that the church in Corinth was getting it wrong was because they came from a background, a pagan religious background in Corinth, where they were well used in, in the Greek mystery religions to people in Corinth praying and speaking in ecstatic utterances or speaking in tongues. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 2, somehow or other you were influenced, you were moved, because he's, he's using that term that, that they would be familiar with, that as, as people were caught up in worship and they, they, they gave out these ecstatic utterances in the pagan Greek mystery religions, they then brought that experience into the church and expected the same sort of thing to happen. You can see it even now in today's church, where in the charismatic movement in the UK, in the States, in Europe, often if something is spontaneous that is taken that it's more spiritual. If it's planned, it's less spiritual. But if it's spontaneous in the moment, that must mean it's more spiritual. Exactly the same was happening in Corinth. If it was spontaneous, if you were, uh, and the more deep or the more dramatic the experience, the more spiritual that particular experience was taken to be. You'll see it in Hinduism and Buddhism today that that particular criteria is still used. It's even there in Islam. Uh, you may know that uh, Muslims are divided effectively into three groups. There's the Shiites and the Sunnis, and we hear a lot about those two in particular uh, with regard to radicalization. But there's a third group called the, the Sufis, and the Sufis are charismatic Muslims. Uh, they are people who will... Uh, heavily lean on worship and uh, you've probably best seen them um, the evidence of them is, is what people are known as the whirling or swirling dervishes where people go round and round and round and round and round and round and have these big robes that they wear which sort of spin out and that they pray in tongues as, as they swirl around or whirl around the whirling dervishes so it's all very confusing when we come to this particular gift of speaking in tongues what does Paul say well, firstly, 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 10 and 11, Paul makes it absolutely clear that the gift of speaking in tongues is a genuine gift 
of the Holy Spirit. He gives this list. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, another a message of knowledge, another faith, another gifts of healing, another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing or discernment between spirits, in another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. So the spiritual gift of praying in tongues is a genuine gift of the Holy Spirit. And we believe in this church that it is still for today. We believe that God speaks today. And next week, uh, Libby's going to be expounding on the whole gift, the spiritual gift, the New Testament gift of prophecy. But how that's different from Old Testament prophecy, New Testament prophecy is different. Secondly, and this again contradicts what that particular Pentecostal denomination teaches, is that it's clear that Paul expects that not everybody will speak in tongues. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 11 and 30, he lists. In chapter, in chapter 12 and verse 11, he says this, All these, the gifts, are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And at the end of uh, chapter 12, verses 29 and 30, he says this, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the clear answer each and every time is no. No. Not everybody is an apostle. Not everybody is a teacher. And not everybody will speak in tongues. Now again, that goes against my own particular experience. I've been a Christian um, nearly 40 years ago. I became a Christian. And I've been a Christian for about 18 months when a friend called Gary came to me and said, I'd like to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, fine, I'm up for anything. You pray for me. So he prayed for me. And I had what I can only describe as it was like falling in love with Jesus all over again. It was a secondary experience. I was caught up in the love and the, and the, and the, the grace of Jesus. I remember going to school, uh, going through Moss Side in Manchester, singing Christian worship songs on the top deck of the bus at half past eight in the morning. I was not used to doing that. But I was just so caught up with the love of Jesus for me and this new experience but then something happened. The next Sunday, Gary came to me and said, do you pray in tongues yet? And I said, no. And he said, quite a threatening way, why not? And I said, well, I don't. And then again, in quite a threatening way, he said, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> It was a bit like, you know, Arnie Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. It was like, I'll be praying for you. And it was quite menacing. I went, oh, thanks. And for the next six months, every Sunday night, because that's when the youth group met after church, Gary would come to me and ask me, have you prayed in tongues yet? No. Have you prayed in tongues yet? No. Have you prayed in tongues yet? No. I'll be praying for you. Now, I wasn't confident enough at that stage to say, well, if I'm not praying in tongues, maybe it's your prayers <laughs> that aren't strong enough. But I didn't go there. 
But I felt really guilty for about two years. I went to university and then met some friends who helped me understand more about the gift and other spiritual gifts as well. So it is a genuine gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul makes it clear that not everybody will speak in tongues. But thirdly, Paul makes it very clear that above all things, it is not a reason, if you have this gift, it is not a reason for spiritual pride. Paul gives two lists in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 10 and verse, chapter 14 and verse 6 uh, uh, of spiritual gifts. In, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 14 to 31, he lays out all these spiritual gifts. There are other lists in Ephesians and in Romans. So there's about 25, 28. There's no exhaustive list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But Paul is basically saying all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are of equal importance. And God gives different gifts to different people just as he determines. But it's quite striking that in the two lists of the Holy, Spiritual, Holy Spirit's gifts that he, he articulates and writes out in 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of speaking in tongues is the last one in both lists. And Paul says, I would far rather you prophesy than speak in tongues. I long that every one of you could speak in tongues, but I would far rather you prophesy. And what seems, Paul seems to be saying is, there is no league table of spiritual gifts where one gift is more important than the other. But if there was, then the gift of speaking in tongues would be at the bottom. It would be the breaking city of spiritual gifts. Anything you know about Scottish football, Breaking City has gone the whole season without winning one game. The whole season. So Paul is saying the gift of speaking in tongues is the Breaking City of spiritual gifts. If you've got this gift, it is not a reason for spiritual pride for you to somehow think that you are better than other Christians. But if we're honest particularly in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up in the, the charismatic movement in the church in the UK, that was how the gift of speaking in tongues was presented. If you had this gift, then you were really spiritual. If you had administration or service or voluntary martyrdom, they were lesser than the gift of speaking in tongues. That was really spiritual. But that's not what Paul says. Paul emphasizes also, therefore, the need for love. I've said this before, you've heard me say it, but as a trained professional theologian, there is a reason why 1 Corinthians 13 comes after 1 Corinthians 12 and before 1 Corinthians 14. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that's why, bang in the middle of them, Paul writes this amazing chapter about love. He says, if you don't have love, you are a clanging symbol. You are a gong. You're worth nothing. Your words are worth nothing. If you haven't got love when you're using gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're worthless, Paul says. But what he does speak about are different kinds of tongues, 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 28. And then in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels. And I find some thinking that's been done on this really helpful to think about it in this way, that there may be at least two types of speaking in tongues. 
So Paul speaks about the tongues of men. And maybe that's what's happening in Acts chapter 2. When about, well, there's a whole crowd of people, we're told, on the day of Pentecost who hear the early disciples. When the Holy Spirit falls on them, they hear the early disciples praying and praising God. And we're told that there are representatives of about 15 different ethnicities or nations. And yet each one hears them speaking the prayers and the praises of God in their own language. So there's this group of Jewish disciples from Palestine who as they pray and praise, when the Holy Spirit falls upon them, people from all over the known world, from the Roman Empire, from um, different provinces, 15 ethnicities or nations, hear their own language being spoken. And maybe within what's termed as glossalia, that's the the Greek for, for speaking in tongues, maybe this is xenolalia, speaking in an unlearned human language. And maybe that is what is happening on the day of Pentecost. And there are examples in the contemporary church where that's happened. Uh, If you read one of Jackie Pullinger's books, uh, Working in Hong Kong, she tells the story of a woman from Wales arriving in this church in Hong Kong and hearing a Cantonese Christian pray out loud in Welsh. This Cantonese Christian had never been to Wales, and never learnt Welsh. But this woman from Wales heard this Cantonese Christian praying in her native language in Welsh. An unlearnt human language. That can also cause confusion. I remember hearing of a group of students at a particular university in England. Uh, they were studying French and they were studying the New Testament and they came across this particular passage and this particular teaching and they thought that's great we don't need to revise for our finals <laughs> and they didn't and they failed because that's not the way that it works but it's an unlearned human language so that's the tongues of men and then there's the tongue of angels angelolia xenolalia for tongues of men angelolia for tongues of angels, speaking in a heavenly or angelic language. And whereas xenolalia, the gift of an unlearned human language, is more a a gift of revelation, angelolia is a gift of adoration. It's a private prayer language that a person uses to worship God, privately and personally. That perhaps is the best way of understanding it. it it's, it's hap- I've heard it used corporately, um, and I would say genuinely three or four times in nearly 40 years as a Christian where I've just been taken aback and thought, that is of God. So I remember one instance at Spring Harvest. There are about 5,000 people in, in this marquee at Skegness. And if the Holy Spirit can come in Skegness, he can come anywhere. Um, and it was freezing. But the person leading the worship in the the celebrations, I just think that those of us who are able to and those of us that want to, we should just sing out in the language that God has given to us. 
And it started in the far end of the marquee, and it was like a wave that came across the evening celebration. And it came across the marquee, and, and more and more people started to join in with the singing. And it was absolutely beautiful. Probably some people who, who spoke in tongues listened to it and thought, I'm not going to join in with that because I will spoil it. But it just went over the congregation and it was stunning. It was absolutely stunning. Lasted for about three or four minutes and then faded away. Remember in another church that I used to work at, a church very similar to this one uh, in the centre of Birmingham, St. John's Harborn, uh, we had a visitor, David Smith, who was an elder at the time at St. Michael the Belfry in York. He came to a particular point in his sermon and he said, I just think it's right and it's appropriate that those of us who can and those of us who are able and those of us who have that gift and those of us who want to, note all those caveats, we should just sing out in the language that God has given us. And again, it started in one particular part of the church, and it was like a wave that just came over the evening congregation. And it was just beautiful. And both at Spring Harvest and at St. John's that night, what we were left with was an incredibly profound sense of God's peace. There was just, it was as if the, the, the curtains had been drawn back from heaven and the Holy Spirit had been poured out in a new way. And this thing of incredible beauty had been experienced by us. Now contrast that with the Pentecostal church that I went to for about a year when I was at university in Hull. And when I first went, um, it was a very traditional Pentecostal church. And something used to happen in that Pentecostal church at 10 past 11 and 10 past 7. 10 past 11 in the morning service and 10 past 7 in the evening service. At 10 past 11 in the morning and evening service, Uncle Bert, who was playing the keyboards or the piano over here, would hold the chord. And it was always the same chord. When he held the chord, Auntie Maisie over here, these aren't real names, but this is my memory, Auntie Maisie would start to pray, sing in tongues. That happened at ten past eleven and ten past seven every week. After about six months, the church got a new minister. And it was beautiful to watch over the next year as he led that church through a process of renewal in the Holy Spirit. Because, you see, the Pentecostal church at that time, it had the outward form but it hadn't got the inner experience. And over the next 12 months, different people would lead in singing in tongues or praying in tongues. Now, Uncle Herbert and Auntie Maisie were not too happy about that because their places had been usurped. But they weren't responding with the love that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. They'd lost the reason for why they were doing what they were doing. So it's a form of prayer, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 2. Romans 8, verses 26 to 27, Paul writes there about we, we don't know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes with groans too deep for words. And sometimes that's how some people will pray in the Spirit. They will pray in tongues, and it's like a groaning, almost like a sort of childbirth noise that people are, are making. 
Um, I, I do pray in tongues. I, I, I find it particularly helpful when I'm worshipping, when I'm worshipping privately. And I find also when I don't know how to pray or what to say or when I'm in a crisis or particularly in spiritual warfare and deliverance situations, when I've been asked to pray for a person or to ask, pray for a place, I will go and I will pray in tongues. And what I've noticed over the years is that the language, the prayer language that I use in those situations is different to the prayer language that I use in my own personal worship. There's a particular language, seemingly, that God gives me in those situations as opposed to the private and personal, more devotional worship. Angelolia seems to build up the individual, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1. You can pray in tongues, but the only person that's really being affected by it is you because nobody understands really what you're saying. Xenolalia, a prophetic tongue with interpretation perhaps, not a translation, an interpretation, but a summary. And it, we do struggle with it because, because it is supra-rational. And we struggle but actually because so often in church life we don't follow what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. So Libby will say more about this next week, but if we're in a situation where somebody speaks out in a tongue as a prophetic word, there should just be silence as we wait for the interpretation. If there is no interpretation, two things are happening. One, somebody is using their private gift in a public context. Or two, the person who's got the interpretation hasn't been brave enough to say it. But Paul says there are three things. We need to be really clear, he says. And he gives three quick illustrations. He says it's like somebody playing a harp or pipe. And did you notice when Julie was reading those words, she's a musician. So she perked up and said, a harp or a pipe. <laughs> I.e., this is really important. And Paul says if there's not a clear note, then you don't know, you can't distinguish what's being played. I mean, if these guys were all playing the same but different... You know, that's sort of Morecambe and Wise thing. I'm playing the right tunes, but not necessarily in the right order. It wouldn't sound right. Paul says it's like a, a trumpet being sounded. You know, in, in the ancient times, until fairly recently, a trumpet was used to give command to an army. But, you know, there are, there's a trumpet sound for breakfast. There's a trumpet sound for charge. There's a trumpet sound for retreat. There's a trumpet sound for wake up. If you give the wrong one at the wrong time, the arm is not going to know what to do. Paul says, be clear. And then thirdly, he says, it's like, if, you don't, if there's not clarity in what's being said, people won't understand. He says, it's, it's like you're hearing a language that you just don't understand. It's like me watching BBC Alba, the Gallic channel. I haven't got a clue what's going on. Or when I used to, uh, you know, reach the end of my tether with Josh when he was small. And um, I have to confess this, probably to Cathy, that there were times when I would sit Josh down in front of Postman Pat in Welsh. <laughs> he hadn't got a clue. I hadn't got a clue what was going on. Yeah, but he saw the familiar pictures and that was enough. The Apostle Paul says if people pray in tongues and there's not interpretation, it's like watching Postman Pat in Welsh. You need to understand what's going on. Paul says, however, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 20, stop thinking like children, grow up, eagerly desire the greater gifts. I don't forbid that people pray in tongues, he says, but I long that you prophesy 
more. Don't expect everyone to have every gift because you won't. But the real question is, what gifts has God given you? You see, when we stand before Jesus and have to give an account of our lives, it won't be good enough for us to say, yes, but I wanted the gift of praying in tongues, or I wanted the gift of dot, dot, dot. You will be asked what you have done with what you have been given. You will not be asked about the things that you have not been given. So your job and my job is to discover what gifts we have been given and then get on and use them.